0: For those of you watching online, thank you for joining us, Facebook uh, and on YouTube. We appreciate you taking the time to join us here, clicking this this page, watching this message and later on hearing it on SoundCloud or on our iTunes podcast. Um, We hope that you are definitely blessed and if you have any questions, you know, I encourage you to please ask. Um, you can leave them in the comment section on one of those platforms that I just mentioned. And um, we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Um, please also feel free to to share this message once it's complete. Um, there may be others uh, that you know that maybe need to hear this message. And you never know this. You know, you sharing it can also probably reach someone on the other side of the world. Now, another thing that you can do to to know what we're about, you know, where we're located, know what our, what basically Fresh Vision is about, um, you can go to our website at fbcelp.org. And there you will find, you know, all the information about our church, um, everything from our COVID guidelines to our statement of faith, any kind of announcements coming up. Um, you know, they should be answered. And if they're, not, if they're not, again, feel free to email me, call me, text me, send me a message, and I'll answer any kind of questions you may have. Also on our homepage, we do have, um, the Lord's put it in your heart to, to maybe give a, a tithe offering or a special gift. Um, we do have a PayPal link there. PayPal does take a small percentage just to let you know, but, you know, if you're okay with that, then I, uh, we're okay with it as well. Um, That's, again, only if you want to, um, if we want you to give out of the joy of your heart. That helps us, again, keep make sure our doors stay open, that we're able to maintain the technology that we have, and we're able to to minister to those that come and to to you as well. So um, if you've done that, thank you. Um, But, again, that option is there. All right, so just other announcements that I want to let you know about. So this past Saturday, the women started a Bible study here on um, Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock. 11? 10? 11, 10, 11 o'clock. Um, and so if you're interested in joining and being part of that, again, women are, are invited. I think what Robin is doing is that she, she's just going a little bit more in depth about the study we're going through here in 1 Samuel. Also beginning in the first week of February, Um, We're going to begin a men's Bible study here at the church, which will be on Friday evenings at 6 p.m. And if you're interested in that, contact Rick or get a hold of Rick, talk to Rick. Um, Also, I'll be posting that information on our website. But either way, you know, whether it's the men's, women's study, um, let us, if you have any questions about it, you know, let me know. And also, be eventually, will show up on our website. All right, so this morning, we are going to continue our study into 1 Samuel. Now, in case you weren't with us last week, I just want to quickly just let you know what we covered. In chapter 1, we covered Samuel's birth and um, how that came about, and How he was dedicated to the Lord. Chapter two, we looked at her, her prayer, triumphant prayer, um, and we covered that extensively. And then at the end, we saw how a man of God, a messenger from God, came and delivered a scathing message uh, to Eli, the priest there at that time. of what was going to happen to his household, the judgment that God pronounced on his household because he wasn't harsh on he wasn't harsh on his sons for the sins that they were committing there, not just as among the people but as priests of the Lord there at the temple. Well, you know, this week we're going to be moving on to chapters three and four. Or we're going to read about how God how God called Samuel, and then the tragic events that occurred not too long after that. Now I've titled today's message "The Dawn of a New Era" because although Samuel's calling was the beginning of a new era in God's plan for Israel, now this didn't necessarily mean that. Because it was the dawn of a new era, of a new era, that God would now forget about all their sins and now give them a clean slate. No, it was, uh, they had to deal with the consequences of their sin. Now there's a couple things that I hope that you'll learn as we go through these two chapters. First of all, I hope that you learn that without the direction of God's word, a nation and or even individuals any individual will wander aimless aimlessly and eventually fall into the into self-destructive behavior and secondly the events of chapter 4 will show you that in many instances horrible national and even personal events don't happen by accident, So before we get into God's word, let's pray and ask him to speak to us this morning. Lord God, we are thankful that you've brought us all here this morning. Again, it is uh, joyful to see familiar faces that you know, haven't been here in a while, Lord, and we pray that you, you bless them, that you minister to them now, Lord, and that you speak to them, to everyone here powerfully, Lord. Um, we dedicate this time completely to you lord i also pray for those watching listening live right now lord that you also speak to them that you minister to them and that you open their hearts and minds to receive your word whether it's the entire message or just a piece of it lord may you just stick with them may you be like a seed that's it's being implanted deep in their hearts, Lord. And that so that eventually it may bear fruit. Pray that lives are changed and that again people are are drawn near to you and that your kingdom will grow. So bless this time. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. First Samuel chapter 3. And the word of God says, The boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. In those days the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. One day Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his usual usual place. Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was laying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was located. Then the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here I am. He ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. I didn't call, Eli replied. Go back and lay down and lie down. So he went and lay down. Once again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. I didn't call my son. He replied, go back. And lie down. How many times have we told that to our kids? Those of us that know uh, when they wake up in the middle of the night. Anyways, uh, okay, let me continue here. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Once again, for the third time, the Lord called Samuel. He got up, went to Eli, and said, Here I am. You called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. He told Samuel, go lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came, stood there, and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel responded, speak, for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do something in Israel that, that everyone who hears about it will shudder. On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything I said about his family from beginning to end. I told him that I am going to judge his family forever because of the iniquity he knows about. His sons are cursing God, and he has never stopped them. He has not stopped them. Therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family, the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out by either sacrifice or or offering. Samuel lay down until the morning. Then he opened the doors of the Lord's house. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son, here I am, answered Samuel. What was the message he gave you? Eli asked. Don't hide it from me. May God punish you and do so severely if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything. And did not hide anything from him. Eli responded, he is the Lord. Let him do what he thinks is good. Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And he fulfilled everything that Samuel prophesied. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was conf- was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. And Samuel's words came to all Israel. Now, this chapter here can be summarized by three words. God's call, God calls Samuel. So now, let me now explain a little more uh, here about what we just read. Now, in the first three verses, we're giving some important details that set this story up. First of all, we're told that the boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. This meant that as Eli's young apprentice, Samuel was learning from Eli and was subject to him. Secondly, we're told that in those days the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. The main reason for God's silence was because of the hardness of of the heart among the people of Israel and as well as the corruption of the priesthood. And thirdly, we're informed of what had taken place prior to the Lord calling Samuel. So the priest, Eli, was responsible to assure that the lamps of the golden lampstand, lampstand, the menorah that was there in the Lord's temple, uh, were lit At twilight and stayed lit until dawn. Well, since his eyesight was failing, he more than likely would have had the young Samuel nearby in case he needed him during the night. Therefore, when it says that Samuel was laying down in the temple near the Ark of God, it doesn't necessarily mean that he was actually sleeping in the most holy place rather, it more than likely means that he was sleeping or he was resting, laying down in a room near Eli's quarters. Well, on one particular morning before the lamp of God, God had gone out, he heard the voice of the Lord, which he mistakenly took to be that of Eli. Now, it's important to keep in mind that in verse 7, it says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. In other words, it hadn't yet, he hadn't yet had a personal experience that would have helped him to definitively say that it was God's voice that that he was hearing. Regardless, though, the fact that he got up Three times in response to what he thought was Eli's call says much about Samuel's self discipline. And furthermore, it goes to show that his willingness to obey was a qualification for receiving God's word. And it wasn't until that fourth time, well, that third time, that Eli finally discerned that the Lord was, was the Lord that was actually calling the boy. So he advised them to lay back down and to submit himself to whatever the Lord would have him do. Verse 10, verse 10 then says that the Lord came, stood there, and called as before. Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel responded, speak for your servant, is listening. What we see next is a divine message to receive from God. In verses 11 through 14, verses 11 through 14 basically confirmed the judgment spoken earlier against Eli and his family. This message also indicated that the father, Eli, was, much, was as much to blame as his sons because he had not, um, he wasn't harsh with them, or, uh, and he hadn't turned them from their sins. According to what the law of Moses said, they really, because of their behavior, what they were doing, they really should have been put to death for cursing God instead of just being scolded. Lord goes on to say that the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out by either sacrifice or offering. And it was at this point that Eli's doom was confirmed and sealed by the words of two witnesses, the man of God who we read about in chapter 2 and in a bit, the boy and now prophet Samuel. So under the weight of such a severe message, Samuel laid down until morning. Now, I could only imagine this must have been a sleepless night. How is he going to explain this to Eli? Tossing and turning, just going, thinking how he would even begin to tell the old man whom he was close to, and whom he looked up to as a mentor. Samuel here experienced his first test as the Lord's messenger, fear to the fear to communicate a message of judgment to someone he respected. Well, that fear was quickly squashed when Eli took the initiative and told him in verse seventeen, What was the message he gave you? Don't hide it from me. May God punish you and do it so severely. If you hide anything from me that he told you. (laughs) What a relief for Samuel. Well, he told him everything that the Lord had told him. And after hearing Samuel's message, Eli's attitude about it all was actually commendable. Eli responded, He is the Lord. Let him do what he thinks is good. It's not hard to imagine that the second pronouncement of God's judgment would have added, even in his old age, great sadness and apprehension about the future. Nevertheless, Eli stood, understood what the Lord, that what the Lord does is ultimately good. So all he could do was submit To his will. Samuel, on the other hand, was learning that his words will not always be easy either for him to speak for or for him to speak or for his hearers to receive. However, he was also learning the importance of delivering God's message without fear of the consequences. If God's rule in the land was to be reestablished. The last three verses of this chapter and in the verse, first part of uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it summarizes Samuel's physical growth, his devotional progress and his notoriety. It soon became known in all Israel from Dan to Beersheba. And we're talking about the the uh, northern tip of Israel to the southern tip of Israel all through the land they knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord it was now apparent that the dawn of a new era was underway God revealing his word through the priest was passing away and revelation through the prophets had begun Now this passage presents at least three timeless truths for us to consider. First of all, God's word is true and certain, presenting undeniable boundaries in which life must be lived and enjoyed. You see, the Lord is free to change His course of direction according to the response of the people. Genuine repentance leads to certain forgiveness, while persistent sin leads to inescapable judgment. But God is the one who sets the standard. And his word announces the verdict. Either way, the word of the Lord is true. And will certainly find fruition in the lives of those for whom it is intended. The Old Testament is clear that the word, that God's word, is eternal, unlike the temporal things of this life. In Luke chapter twenty-one, verses verse thirty-three, Jesus equates his message with the eternal significance of the Old Testament scriptures. And there he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So without a doubt, believers today, if you're a born-again believer today, you can rest assured that God's word is still active as a warning for those who consistently reject his grace and as a comfort for those who hear his call. The second timeless truth that I want you to consider from this passage is that God's word represents a claim on individual lives, calling us to service, calling you to service and submission. You see, this passage isn't only about God's condemnation of Eli's house, but also about God's call for Samuel to serve in a new prophetic ministry. In verses nine through nine and 10, Eli patiently instructs Samuel on how to respond to God's call. And Samuel is totally dependent on Eli. But in verses 17 and 18, the roles are now reversed. Now Samuel informs Eli of God's message. And Eli is dependent on Samuel to learn that word. You see, ladies and gentlemen, a new beginning requires the end of an old way. The text illustrates the work of God's word in calling his people to submission to his will and way. It's about hearing the divine call, God's word, God's call, and saying, here I am. Like Samuel, many contemporary Christians must hear the call and enter into a new relationship with God, a relationship committed to proclaiming the word To the world. The text of 1 Samuel chapter 3 is meant to arouse us out of our laziness. As it aroused Samuel from his early morning sleep, it ought to arouse us to just answer like he did Lord, here I am. I'm here, Lord. I hear your word, I read it, I see it. I believe in my heart that you're calling me through your word to to do this. Well, here I am. You must be willing to be used by him. You know, it can be very easy for us to say, yeah, you know, if God calls me to do something, I'll do it. But really? Again, I'm using an extreme example, but if the Lord called you to give away all your possessions and go be a missionary in a third world country, would you do that now and today? Or would you be like, oh, that's oh, later. You know We're called. He, you know, we have to be willing to say, here I am. I'm here, Lord. And be willing to obey what he wants us, what he calls us to do. Okay, thirdly, God's word has a renewing and transforming and transformative force for all those who respond to his call. At the beginning, here we see, he's the, basically Samuel here is a young intern who doesn't know the Lord or the Lord's ways with humankind. He's unaware of God's voice or call and seems naive about Eli's leadership. But by the end of the chapter, he is, he is a bold prophet announcing Yahweh's intentions to the elder priest. He has become the regular means of prophetic revelation and is widely recognized in Israel as God's authorized spokesman. Yahweh, the Lord, is with Samuel as he matures, and he continues to reveal himself to Samuel through his word. Now, in a similar way, the word of God does the same in our lives. Let me ask, how many of you used to serve in your churches or in churches in the past but really never knew The Lord personally. Maybe you were an usher at a church. Maybe you were a greeter. Maybe you passed out the announcements. Maybe you even cleaned the church. Many times people are serving the church, are serving, but they don't know the Lord personally. But for those of you who know what I'm talking about, after obeying his calling. And now that you do know the Lord, you now recognize that serving him, the ministry, ministering to people in the church now has a whole new meaning to it. It's not the same. You know exactly the reason why you're doing either you've been called or you do it just because have a heart to serve and it's not for yourself it's not to gain brownie points, it's not to look good in front of the pastor, in front of other people you're doing it for the Lord and you're doing it because you love the people here it was all because of the powerful transformative work of God's word that Your perspective changed. You see, God's word shapes, molds, and refines you into the likeness of his son. And all you have to do is have a willing heart of obedience. Well, the next chapter that we're about to read is basically divided into two parts. An account of two battles and the report of the battle with a response to that report. So now let's read that first part now by going back to First Samuel chapter 4. And I'll be beginning in the second part of verse 1. Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle. And camped at Ebenezer, while the Philistines camped at Aphek. The Philistines lined up in battle formation against Israel. And as the battle intensified, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who struck down about 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the troops returned to the camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord defeat us today before the Philistines? Let us or let's bring the ark of the Lord Covenant from Shiloh. Then it will go with us and save us from our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh to bring back the ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Armies, who was enthroned between the cherubim. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phineas, were there with the ark of the Covenant of God. When the ark of the Covenant of the Lord Enter the camp. All the Israelites raised such a loud shout that the ground shook. The Philistines heard the sound of the war cry and asked, What's what's this loud shout in, he- in the Hebrew's camp? When the Philistines discovered that the ark of the Lord had entered the camp, they panicked. A God has entered their camp, they said. Woe to us. Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who will rescue us from the, from these magnificent gods? These are the gods that slaughtered the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Show some courage and be men, Philistines. Otherwise you will serve the Hebrews just as they served you. Now be men and fight. So the Philistines fought. And Israel was defeated. And each man fled to his tent. The slaughter was severe. 30,000 of the Israelite foot soldiers fell. The ark of God was captured. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phineas, died. So, as you can see, in this first part here, well, we're going to continue to see as we go through this chapter that the dawn, this dawn of a new era, the dawn of a new era, didn't mean that all was going to be fine and dandy for everyone. This new era began with some serious problems. This part of the story begins abruptly with a conflict between Israel and the Philistines. So, who were the Philistines? Well, they were a pagan, uncircumcised people. Amos chapter 9, verse 7 indicates that they were an immigrant people from the military aristocracy of the island of Crete. When Abraham was around, there was only a small group of them in the land. But they came in larger numbers soon. Soon after Israel came to Canaan, from Egypt then during the time of judges they began to invade Israelite territory which resulted in the relocation of the tribe of Dan and you can read about that in Judges 18 sometime in the middle of the 11th century they began to dominate when they gained a military strategic advantage in the use of iron technology So by the time of this chapter, they became actually the regional powerhouse that could potentially wipe out Israel. So with the emergence of Samuel as a new prophet and this Philistine emergency, we're going to see how it eventually led to the rise of a king. To the search of a king and in the rise of a king. Well, when Samuel was still young, Israel attacked, Israel was attacked by the Philistines at Aphek, a site about 25 miles west, 20 to 25 miles west of Shiloh. Now, there are a couple things that are notable about this battle. First, it doesn't say that Israel took the time to seek the Lord's guidance as their king and commander-in-chief. This was the first thing they should have done. They should have went to the Lord to seek him out. But they didn't do that. So if this was the case, and they didn't come to the Lord first, then it indicates how spiritually lazy and indifferent the people had become. The second notable factor about this battle is that it records the beginning of the fulfillment of God's judgment on the house of Eli. When it was clear the Philistines would win, the Israelites sent men to Shiloh to bring back the Ark of the Covenant to the battlefield. However, the main reason they did this was because they superstitiously thought that its presence, like a good luck charm, (coughs) would turn the tide. Now, in various other battles, the ark did represent the presence of the Lord in battle, but only when the people carried it in faith and by divine leading, meaning they were sure that God was leading them. In spite of Israel's impiety, verses 6-3 tells us that the Philistines panicked when they discovered the ark of the Lord had entered the camp of Israel. Now, why did they panic? Why were they scared? Why were they calling woes upon themselves? Well, because they heard about its association with Israel's magnificent gods who slaughtered the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness and who had brought the people out of Egypt More than 300 years before, yes, they knew the stories very well. They heard about them, and they believed them. They thought it was uh, a group of gods, so this scared them. Nonetheless, summoning their courage, verse 10 states that they they fought on and defeated Israel, killing 30,000 foot soldiers. Did you know that the attitude of these godly, godless Philistines can teach us something as well? Now, you may be wondering what. They were godless. They were heathens, and they didn't know God, and they wanted nothing to do with God, and Israel was the good guys. Were the good guys. Well, here's what we can learn. When it appears that the odds might be stacked against you, we as Christians need to have the same kind of courage courage that these Philistines had. Some of you may feel as though this has always been challenging. This has always been a struggle for you to muster up the courage when faced with adversity. And it's always been, it's been easier just to back down, back away and say, yeah, and you know what? Forget about it. You know, this is too big. This is too much. I'm not going to be able to handle it. This is the kind of attitude you've had. Let me share with you three things you need to do when things look bad and you feel like giving up. First and foremost, put your trust in the Lord. Trust in God and Him alone, not in anything else. Surrender yourself to Him. Trust Him. Know that He has your best interest in mind. Number two, mentally determine that you will not give up. If this is the Lord's call, this is what he's told me to do mentally and in your heart, determine that you will not give up, that you're not going to quit. And once you've done that, then number three, keep fighting all the harder. Keep fighting, keep fighting. And don't stop. And when you're exhausted, when you're tired, come to the Lord and ask him to help you, to help strengthen you. And he will, he will lift you up. He will give you the strength that you need to continue on. There is a marker on a rock near the top of Mount Washington, marking the spot where a woman climber lay down and died. She was so close to the top that she could almost hit it with a stone, a hundred steps more, and she would have reached the shelter she sought, but she didn't know this. Disheartened this by the storm, beaten in body and distressed in spirit, she was at the end of her courage. She could not see a step ahead, so she lay down and died 100 steps from her goal. I read a quote that said, true courage is not the absence of fear, but the willingness to proceed in spite of it. Friends, no matter what side a person is on, courage and persistence will win you many battles. As a Christian, our advantage is that God is on our side. He is with us. He is with you. Psalm 31, 24 says, Be strong and let your heart be courageous, all of you who put your hope in the Lord. So in the process of defeating the Israelites, verse 11 says that the ark of God was captured. Now, five times in this chapter it says that it says that it says that the Ark of the Lord of the Lord was captured in verses 11 19 verses 11 17 19 and twice in verse 21 and 22 The reason for this may have been to show the reader at that time and even us today that this tragedy was something that Israel brought upon itself. You see, instead of using the Ark of God to seek his will, they began using it as a rallying instrument. Basically, a motivational idol. Here's the thing, though. Although it was captured and taken away, in reality, the God of the Ark was still on the throne in heaven and guiding these circumstances For his glory, Israel thought it could ignore the God of the ark and find deliverance in the ark of God. God, however, showed he is greater than the ark. Another consequence of this battle was that Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died, fulfilling God's promise that they would both die on the same day. This not only proves that God's judgment against the house of Eli had come true but it also proves the words found in numbers 23:19 God is not man so he does not lie he is not human so he does not change his mind has he ever spoken and failed to act has he ever promised and not carried it through Now, although this section primarily deals with the con- conflict between among two nations, there's also a message for more general kinds of conflict involving Christians. Anytime someone confronts us or attacks us, attacks our character, we should humbly seek to determine whether we have acted presumptuously or failed to seek God's will. See this was the case with the Israelites when they failed to acknowledge their sin and guilt and acted as though God were obligated to favor them in their war with the Philistines. Likewise it can be very it can be very easy for some Christians to assume an arrogant posture of of righteousness in the face of opposition. Oh, I've been a Christian longer than you. Therefore, I'm right and you're wrong. But we must remember that Christ seeks followers who humbly admit that we have no righteousness apart from our relationship with him. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. And the point I'm making is this. Living for Jesus doesn't mean we're always right or that we'll always win. Sometimes, yes, we're going to need correction and discipline provided by others. So unlike the Israelites in this passage, never assume that God owes you something or that you can control the outcome of a person of a personal conflict by appealing to your relationship with God. Because the fact is this, your entire life with God is all because of his grace and depends not one bit on your own merit. All right, well, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to. I'm going to go ahead and cover that last section there. Chapter 4, verse 12. That same day, a Benjamite man ran from the battle and came to Shiloh. His clothes were torn, and there was dirt in his head. Kind of reminds me of someone I personally know, but uh, that's another story. When we, he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair beside the road, watching. Because he was anxious about the ark of God, when the man entered the city, he he to city to give a report. The entire city cried out. Eli heard the out the outcry and asked, "Why is there why this commotion?" The man quickly came and reported to Eli. At that time, Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes didn't move because he couldn't see. The man said to Eli, "I'm the one who came from the battle. I fled. I fled from there today. What happened, my son?" Eli asked. The messenger answered, "Israel has fled from the Philistines, and also there was a great slaughter among his people. Your two sons, Hophni and Phineas, were both are both dead, and the Ark of God has been captured." When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off the chair he, by the city gate. And since he was very old and heavy, his neck broke and he died. Eli had judged Israel forty years. Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife Phineas, was pregnant and about to give birth. When she heard the news about the capture of God's ark and the death of her father-in-law and her husband, she collapsed and gave birth because her father her because of her labor pains because labor pains came on her as she was dying the woman taking care of her said don't be afraid you're giving you're given you've given birth to a son but she did not respond or pay attention she named the boy Ichabod saying the glory has departed from Israel referring to the capture of the ark of god and to the death of her father-in-law and her husband. The glory has departed from Israel, she said, because the ark of God has been captured. So here now the story immediately shifts from the battlefield in Aphek to the temple in Shiloh. In verse 10, verse 12, we read that a Benjamite man ran from the battle and came to Shiloh. And as I mentioned earlier, this was, Roughly he ran roughly about 20 miles and some have said the terrain there was mostly uphill from you know from Efek to uh, to Shiloh so you can it was probably pretty good shape but he had the appropriate signs of distress torn clothes and dirt in his head dirt on his head the messenger's pitiful report contains four parts that each build in intensity First, the Israelite army fled the Philistines. He then reports that a great, about the great slaughter that among the people. Third, he informs Eli that his two sons were both dead. And finally, he gives them the news that the Ark of God had been captured. Now, we're not told about Eli's reaction about, uh, of the first three pieces of news, but the mention of the Ark's capture, It says in verse 18 that he fell backward off of his chair that he'd been sitting on by the city gate. And because he was old and heavy, the moment he fell, his neck broke and he died. His life is then summarized at the end of verse 18. Eli had judged Israel 40 years. He was the last of a great line of judges when he died at the age of 98. And again, it marked the end of an era. Chapter 4 could have ended here, but the chain of events wasn't over yet. Shortly thereafter, Eli's pregnant daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, heard about everything that had just happened, and it pushed her to premature labor. Dying in childbirth, she named the baby Ichabod, which means there is no glory. This reflected the circumstances surrounding his birth. The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured. The glory she was speaking of here was the viable, was the visible manifestation of God's presence dwelling among, among his people inside or at the tabernacle. And now that it had been captured, it signaled the tragic reality that the evidence of God's glory had left his people. And to the pagans at that time, it was conceivable that God could be stolen and taken into exile. But the Israelites should have known better. They should have known that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob isn't confined to just one place. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere and he therefore could never be taken away from them. Well, unfortunately, they didn't see it that way. Thus showing how much Israel's he the neighbors had in, had influence and corrupted their perception of God. When King Solomon dedicated, dedicated the temple in first Kings chapter eight, verse 10, the glory of the Lord returned. But before the destruction of Jerusalem, the prophet Ezekiel saw the glory leave the temple of the city. Nevertheless, he told Ezekiel. He, he he's, we're told in Ezekiel chapter 43 verses one through five that he saw the future millennial temple and the return of the glory of God. Well, the glory of God didn't return to this earth until the birth of Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. And in case you may not be aware, God's glory is still with us today. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20 that God's glory dwells with his people individually. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, we're told that his glory also dwells in his church collectively. So this means, what this means for you is that if you're born again, if you're a believer, the glory of the Lord is in you by way of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that you are his temple now lives in you and he works through you, that glory is still there and you can have access to him you, you, he's available to you as well all you have to do is open your heart to him open your heart to Jesus Christ and allow him to come in and make his home in you well if you're out there, you're listening or if you know, you're watching as well I want to give you an opportunity to to come to the cross and lay your sins before the Lord and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. So if that's what you desire, if that's what you want, and you're ready to admit that you're a sinner and that believe in Him and you want to accept Him into your heart and become born again and wherever you're at, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head and pray this prayer with all your heart with all sincerity Lord God I admit that I'm a sinner and that I failed miserably and I ask that you forgive me I now believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. I repent now of my sins and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying and for me and saving me. I accept your forgiveness and now I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me in my new born-again life. In your name, amen. If you prayed that with all sincerity, with all your heart, Lord has come and made his dwelling in you. And he's going to do some great things. In you and through you. And he's going to trans, he's going to, if you allow him and you obey him and you continue to abide in him and study his word and hear him, and, well, start to see that he's going to transform you more into the image of his son. So let us know if you prayed that. We want to help you in your next steps. If you need a Bible, we can send you one. If you need prayer, we can do that for you, but contact us. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to come to the church out here and check us out on a Sunday morning. I look forward to seeing you next week, and may all of you be blessed. May God bless you. Goodbye, and farewell.